tuned into this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip is all about neck testing, so neck strength testing with Gavin Pratt, Director of Strength and Conditioning at the UFC Performance Institute. So it's an unbelievable clip from someone who knows their area incredibly, incredibly well. So I hope you enjoy. Just before we do dive into this episode, I want to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. Rock Daisy's best-in-class athlete management system enables strength coaches, sports scientists, and front office personnel to easily centralize, access, track, and analyze all of your athletes' performance data. No more endless spreadsheets and logging into multiple systems. Check out rockdaisy.com for a free trial. So you mentioned there about testing. So to get an idea of where an athlete's at on in terms of this topic, what testing do you put your guys through? So we use um, a fixed frame dynamometer. Uh, we have played around um, with a quadruped position because that's what was suggested in the literature. And that is a valid way to do it. Um, we found that the reliability with our cohort wasn't so high because they were able to find ways to cheat. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. So we can understand that. So we we changed it from quadruped position to a lying position in all four force vectors. So flexion, extension, and lateral flexion left and right. So we'll lie the athlete down and there'll be particular um, components to that, like feet come up, can't come off the floor, hands have to be across the chest or whatever, so you can't utilize them. And it's been a really reliable and valid approach for us to measure that static neck strength. Then what we'll do, not just look at absolutes, per weight class so we've done enough testing now where we can actually go into say 170 pounds which is well to weight we can look at the athlete who's just tested their neck strength in those four force vectors and look at every single specific force vector and say you're actually above below or on the average for your weight class for each of those four force vectors and then as a snc coach we can then look at the ratios behind that so you might find when we look at flexion to extension the literature is saying to us that we need at least 0.6 to 1 flexion extension to decrease the risk of concussion. Anything there and below, we're going to increase that risk for the athlete. So first things first, we look at that absolute strength. Are they strong enough? Yes. Okay. Well, then your ratios matter. So that's the first one. Then we'll look at flexion to lateral flexion, which in the literature, again, is supposed to be around one to one. But we found that with our athletes, our cohort athletes, they use their lateral flexors so much for grappling that it was kind of irrelevant. Their lateral flexors were so strong that we actually needed to change that to 0.8 to 1 to make it relevant to our sport. And that only came through the amount of data that we were receiving um, and just looking at how high those absolute numbers were in flexion. So I guess there's two components to it. What, what's their absolute strength and then what are those appropriate ratios? So we could have a really nice ratio of 0.8 to one flexion to extension, but both of them are below the average in terms of absolute strength. So the ratio doesn't really matter. We just need to work on either static or slow dynamic strength to improve that foundational base of strength that they have. Um, Just on a sort of side note, it's really important that whilst we're calling it neck strength training, the mechanism we're actually looking at is the trunk neck head complex or the coupling. That's actually what we're looking at, but calling it a neck test is much uh, easier, rolls off the tongue a little bit easier than trunk neck head. So what we did here was we looked at the maximal voluntary contraction of, say, the erectors during 
a neck extension test on the force frame. And we found that the erectors were engaging up to 80% of their maximal voluntary contraction during the neck extension test, which kind of shows that it's not just a pure neck test, but these muscles are involved in that extension movement. And it also combines that trunk neck head coupling. So it is actually testing what we want it to test. So that's good. It's just being aware that you're not truly calling it a neck test. There are other components involved, which is great, but it's just the understanding of that. So long story long, Rob, basically what we have, what we're looking for uh, absolutes and ratios. And then as coaches, we're going to use the UFCPI's neck matrix to attack our programming, which is going to be static strength first, if their static strength is below the absolute numbers we need. Once we've gone through a block of that, we'll then move into slow dynamic strength because we're trying to improve the hypertrophy behind those musculature of the neck because we do need to make sure that we're measuring the ratio of the neck circumference, neck length, head circumference, and tying all that in. Basically, you don't want a lollipop head. It's going to increase the risk of concussion. If they then retest and their absolute scores are good and their ratios are quite good, you can then move on to fast dynamic strength, moving things quicker, concentric, eccentric, underload, because you've got better postural ability because of the phases we just went through. And then finally, reactive strength as well. Now, that might be a combination of not just exercises, but also implementing some neurocognitive work, such as hand-eye coordination, response inhibition, those types of things as well. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to unpack, but that's kind of our process, I guess, uh, in a broad speaking sense. I can't write quick enough. I can't write quick enough. <laughs> I'm probably speaking too write. quick, mate. So. <laughs> no, no, you're all good. You so good, so good, so good. So use the force frame, the fixed as a fi as a fixed frame. Is there any any work been done with handhelds, dynos? Uh, yeah, yeah. So some studies are showing dynos and. Um, I guess with all those tests, it will depend on the practitioner, right? That's that's sort of why we've stayed away from it, the the reliability of it, depending on who's enforcing that test. However, if you can fix that to a rack or something, then that's just as useful. I was having a chat at the ACA conference with a couple of guys who are really into this space. Um, and we we're talking about potentially what needs to happen in much like skin folds. So the DEXA is the gold standard. Then if you don't have a DEXA, maybe you do skinfold calipers. And if you don't have calipers, maybe you do hip to waist ratio. You know, we need to sort of almost come up with a, right, the gold standard is fixed frame dynamometry uh, using something like Kangatak or Vald. Uh, if you don't have that, then maybe you use a dynamometer and this is how you would set that up. Now, if you don't have that, what's the next thing that we might be able to use? Who knows? Maybe there's a phone that you could utilize pushing against the head. I don't know what's happening, but you know, that that's probably the thought process, but we need to make sure that we get almost like a gold standard of testing for the neck across the board. And then we can contrast and compare and actually work out what's relevant. So in terms of something without tech, in terms of uh, relatively expensive tech, there's no real option for those with zero budget. There's not an option for testing, but what I would suggest is that that neck matrix is a really good opportunity to progress an athlete through um, neck strengthening so if you start statically the benefit of that is that you're going to be able to see if the athlete can maintain a correct posture for a long period of time endurance of the neck muscles is really key and i'll just sort of add to this uh what we did see in the data from the mouth guard was that as the rounds progressed there were less strikes being thrown 
but there were more forces being taken by the athlete. Now, that could be two things. That could be the fact that um, the opponent is saving up for that one big knockout shot because they're tired and they want to conserve energy. It's like, oh, here we go, my maximal effort. I'm just going to swing for the bleachers. Or it could be that the body isn't able to accept the, the forces as well. So more force is actually being transferred through the body because they're under fatigue as well. So strength endurance is actually a key part of it. And that's where the static block could be really useful for those um, people without technology. And then it just makes strength and conditioning sense, right? You go from a static position and then let's move through with load, controlled load, making sure you know how to move the neck properly with load against it. Once you have that down pat, maybe we just move those same exercises but faster. And once you have that down pat, now let's bring in a reactive component. And can you still maintain that head position in space? So it's now just about the problem without testing is what where is my athlete's deficiency? Is it inflection, extension, or rotation, or lateral flexion, right? We don't know because we haven't tested. So maybe you're just going to have, if you've got three sessions a week with them, maybe you just have to spread across flexion, extension, and then my laterals on day three, and you're sort of covering all bases. So this clip from Gavin Pratt came from episode number 475 of the Pacey Performance Podcast, and you can find that on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today, and I'll chat to you soon.